God, and apply them to our everyday lives. And we'll be careful to give you the praise. In that mighty and that matchless name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Somebody give a hand clap of praise and welcome the people in the building and our online family from wherever you're watching us. Uh, I know some a few people messaged us online or, or let us know that they were looking for the broadcast and could not get it Sunday. Uh, that's because uh, with DTE, they decided that uh, we didn't need power, but the power of the Holy Spirit was in the church. And that was a wonderful, intimate moment to be able to share God the old-fashioned way. No electronics, no keyboard, uh, just a few of my, my guitar chords and Haley on the drums and people praising God. And we were thankful for that. Technology is wonderful, but we don't need technology to serve God. But it is an enhancement. It helps us to reach the world on all, all levels. So I'm thankful for technology. I'm a techie. Well, guys, we're getting close to the end of Genesis. Can you believe that? Um, so if we're getting close. We've been through a lot of things. We've learned about the depravity of man. We've learned uh, about God's plan to bring man unto himself. And he does that through what? The promised seed. That promised seed in Genesis 3.15, we see that God uh, speaks to Satan and says, I will put enmity or conflict between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. So this is a story of God's undying love and devotion to us, that we were designed to worship a holy God and that God, uh, because of our sin, had already had a plan to bring us back through him through Jesus Christ. And so we're watching the story of God bringing his bride back to himself. And now we do that through the life of Joseph. For those of you who are just joining us, Joseph is the great grandson of Father Abraham. Abraham, who is the father of many faiths, uh, the, many people attribute their origin to Abraham, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, or any derivative come from Abraham. And Abraham has a son named Isaac, and we went all through the passages of Isaac, and we went all the way through Jacob, and let's not forget Noah when God decides that he's going to start all over, and he floods the earth, uh, and he, he starts over and gives Noah a promise, and he says that never again will I flood the earth um, to cleanse it, and he gives the rainbow as a sign of his promise. Well, today we're looking at his life through Joseph, and we're looking at how God uses Joseph. Joseph is not going to carry the promise seed but Joseph is going to protect the promise seed God uses Joseph as provision for that promise seed for those of you who know the Bible at the end and you've heard of the line of Judah we know that the seed is actually coming through Joseph's brother Judah but in order for that to be protected and that the people of Egypt would uh, Israel would have to be protected God has allowed some things some disasters to become Joseph, which means that although God does not cause evil, God is light, God is God, God is good, God will allow some things in life to happen that are less than palatable in our lives. And sometimes as humans, we try to make sense of that, don't we? Have you ever tried to make sense of all the mess of your life, of what's happening now? We've seen this young boy named Joseph who's a bit cocky, he's a bit arrogant, he likes to he likes to get revelation from God and use it to beat up on his brothers. All of you are going to bow down uh, to worship me one day. And, and, and I'm having all these dreams and grandeur of God. And his brothers decide that they want to kill him. And they throw him in a pit. And overnight, Joseph goes from constructing a life that is absolutely immaculate and grand. Can you believe that? That Joseph is the second to the youngest, but he is overseeing his brothers who are actually older than he is. His life is set up for him. Uh, many of us in America have done that. We, we say we're going to have 2.3 children. I don't know how you have 0.3 children, but that's what we want in the white picket fence and all these things in life. And we're going to go to college or get a degree or get a trade and we're going to live life and life's going to be happy and all of a sudden tragedy whether by us forcing the error or by some things beyond our control interrupts that and now we find Joseph at the bottom of a pit with his brothers deliberating are we going to kill him or are we going to sell him Either one of these is not necessarily on the front part of his vision, something that he put in his three to five year plans. 
Yeah, that's nothing you write down. Um, I'm going to get a coat of many colors. Going to make sure I oversee my brothers and snitch on them and get extra points with my father. Oh, I've got to add that to my bucket list. Not to mention get thrown into an empty, waterless pit with scorpions and have my brothers plot if they're going to kill me or give me away. Nobody writes that in. You don't pencil that in on your itinerary. But that's where Joseph finds himself. But the Bible says that God had a plan for Joseph's life. And I want to speak to many people who can't quite make sense of it because here's the deal he's trying to make sense of God having a plan on his life he knows this because he's had a dream hasn't he and he knows those dreams will come from who God so now God you've given me a dream you've shown me what's what my life should be like but where I am right now is so vastly different from where you showed me I will be and while I'm looking at where my life is now I feel helpless I feel out of control. I feel like I don't have a grasp on things. I feel like I'm lost and I don't know what tomorrow will hold. I'm in this pit, but I do not know what's going to happen when they take me out of this pit. How's that relevant to us today? I'm in, I'm in the middle of switching jobs, but I don't know where I'm going to be when I, after I've gotten fired. I'm in the middle of a divorce, but I don't know how my life is going to work after this divorce. I'm in the middle of a sickness, and they say this is my last treatment of chemo, but I don't know what life looks out like dealing with that after. I'm a subject of abuse, but I don't know how to deal with that abuse on the other side of it. God promised me some things, but I don't know why life doesn't look like what he promised me. And so Joseph ends up going into Egypt and we see God's plan because we read the book. We know the end of the story. We get to cheat. But I want you to put yourself in Joseph's perspective. Here he is coming in the prison and he's being sold into slavery to the person who is basically the head of the secret service. Potiphar is the captain of the guard. He is the in charge of the security for Pharaoh. And so he's a high up official and he doesn't just stay there for a second. But if you read through the book of Genesis and do the math that when he comes there he's about 17 years old that's a very impressionable time to be in something that's so psychologically and mentally heavy on their life but through that he learns to work and when he learns to work God's hand is on his life and the Bible says like it did last week that Joseph becomes so good that Potiphar doesn't even know what's in his bank account the Bible says he didn't know anything except the food he ate. He gave everything. He entrusted those things to Joseph. And now we see Joseph dealing with the trauma of loss, the trauma of family struggles because his father was, was, was bringing favoritism, which didn't start with his father. We remember that started two or three generations back, which lets us know that if you don't deal with certain things in certain generations, they will follow your family for years and years to come. Dysfunction doesn't just dissipate. You have to deal with it. Everybody say deal with it. They didn't deal with it. And we're looking at a, a very dysfunctional family. And they are dealing. And so we see Joseph as the product of that dysfunction. And now here it is that he's learning to do good things. And he's learning like the scripture says. All things work to what? Gather for the good of those that love the Lord. Everything doesn't mean it's good. Everything in Joseph's life is not good. And that's something we have to learn in Christian living and Christendom. How many times have people been taught in Christendom to live in a fantasy land? And if I just don't pretend, if I just pretend that it's not there, it'll go away. I remember when I was young, there was a lady named Scarlett O'Hare. I used to watch these old, old, old Civil War movies, and she was in one called Gone with the Wind, and they burned Georgia down, and they burned her house. And I'll never remember them telling their house is on fire. And she says, I choose not to think about that today. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you don't choose to think about it. Your house is still burning down. And so here Joseph is, and that's something we can learn as Christians, that we cannot escape reality through faith. Faith is not an anesthetic to escape reality, but our faith is something that helps us to navigate our life as we go through reality. Yea, though I not pretend that the valley is not there, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, that I go through this process and navigate life after I've lost my job, or I, I have, I've caught a case and I've come out of jail, or I've done this, or I've done that, or I've had all these bad things, and now I'm trying to navigate. He says, I won't fear, not because I'm going to pretend that these things things aren't happening, but I won't fear because thou art what? With me. You're with me through it. And, and that's what faith does. It helps us to navigate the struggles of life while depending 
completely and totally on God. So he's navigating this thing, and he ends up being so successful that part of his house is set on autopilot, and all of a sudden we see what we call Mrs. Robinson. If some of you may remember, remember that movie, that old movie uh, that came out, and this, this old woman comes out, and, and she's a beautiful woman because she's part of his wife, and she pursues him end after end. And now we see he has to deal with two, uh, another front. I've been rejected. I, I have family trauma. I'm in slavery. I'm bound. I'm lost in a place I'm not familiar with. All I want is love and acceptance, and I'm being rejected. And now the one person who wants to give it to me is off limits because she's somebody else's and that's the thing. Sin is just our response to a legitimate need, but it's an illegitimate response. Many people who end up in sin aren't necessarily headed towards sin, but they have unfulfilled needs and desires. And the devil is quick to give them an alternative to fill that desire, an alternative to that love, an alternative that you're seeking, an alternative. I need the peace of God. Well, I give it to you. It's at the bottom of this gym bean. I, I, I give you I give you this. I, I, I want to be loved. I was never loved by my mother and father. Right. I'll give it to you. It's in the arms of somebody that doesn't belong in your arms. This is what Satan does. But we see Joseph actually does the right thing. And he might have had a bit of a struggle with it because we know Joseph is about he's about 27, 28 years old. So he's a strong strapping man. And the Bible says he's not just anybody. He's handsome in form. So he can get away from a woman if he wants to get away from her, can he? But somehow, part of his wife is so close to him that she's able to grab his clothes. And while he's thinking about these things and he's dealing with all these other emotions that are happening, he runs away, she grabs his cloak, she sets him up, and now he's gone from the pit to the palace, and it seemed like life was starting to go up. Now he's in the prison. Have you ever felt like that in life? Like you can't win for losing. Anybody ever felt like that? It seems like life was going good. I found myself in a bad spot. All of a sudden, life is on the rebound. I'm doing the right things. I'm checking the right boxes. And all of a sudden, I get punished for doing the right things. And now it seems like I've gone from, from my father over into the pit. Now I'm in the palace. Now I'm back down in the prison. That's a poor place to be. Most of us at that point would do what? Who would give up? Most of us would say, you know what? Maybe it's just not in the cards for me. Maybe I should just give up on life. I'm too old now. Joseph's saying I'm 30 years old. I'm 30 years old because he's about 30 years old. He's about 28 at the time. I'm about 30 years old. Everybody in my life has already graduated. They got degrees already. They got their corporate job. They're way ahead of me. Maybe I should just give up. I'm in the prison. Maybe I should just stay in the prison and make the most of being a prisoner. This is the best life is going to get for me. But no, what do we see in in uh, Genesis chapter 40, we see that when Joseph gets to the prison at the end of there, what does it say? Let's look at Genesis chapter 38 to go into 40. Genesis chapter 38 verses, verse 20. And, and let's, let's start at Genesis chapter 38 verse 20. And we're going to go on and then we'll go into 40, 39, excuse me. Genesis 39 verse 20. It says this, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness. You can read with me, with me and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those things held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Life is 10% of what happens to you. It is 90% of how you respond. I'll say that again. Life is 10% of what happens to you. It is 90% of how you respond. We'll prove it in the Bible. Uh, I will because Paul says no temptation has overcome you, but such is common to man. You know what that means? While you're in a pity party about your life, nothing has happened to you in your life that hasn't happened to somebody else at some point in time. Well, my husband and my wife left me. You're not the first one. I lost a child too early and unexpectedly. You're not the first one. 
I'm sorry. I lost a job, and I, it was for, on false pretenses. You're not the first one. I got locked up, and I was innocent. You're not the first one. I got an unfair diagnosis for, 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 from the doctor, and now I don't know if I'm going to live or die. You're not the first one. Life is only 10% of what happens to you. It's 90% of where you how you respond. And we see this in Joseph. Why does the story for Joseph seem, uh, when he gets into the prison, similar to what it was when he was in Potiphar's house? You notice the Bible says Potiphar didn't worry about anything because God was with him. Might I submit to you, it's not your situation, but it is your character and the proximity that you are to God in the moment in which you are in your situation. Whether you are high or you are low, you're still the same person. Whether you are high or low, he is still the same God. Whether you have a million dollars or you don't have a dollar to your name, God is still God. He is immutable. That is a theological term. You hear it like in, in Malachi, behold, I am the Lord, I change not. Which means that your situation may be bad, but God is still good. <laughs> So God can cause you to thrive in even the toughest of situations. If you don't believe me, ask the widow. The widow was in a place where, the, where she was about to eat her last bit, give some to her sons and die. She's in the middle of a famine. And all of a sudden, God sends a preacher to her house and says, give me some, and then you eat the rest. It seems like that makes no sense. But what God is trying to do is open up a space to provide for the prophet and to bless her at the same time. And in the middle of a famine, the Bible said that when she obeyed God and gave to that man that her meal barrel never ran out. It never said that her meal barrel filled up to the top and overflowed, but it said that every time she went to get some meal out of there, there was some there. Most people in Christendom always want the story that God's going to overfill my meal barrels. God may never give you an abundance of this or abundance of money, but you ought to thank God that you're not hungry. You ought to thank God that every time your belly has not been, been, been rumbling, God has filled it. You ought to thank God that at this point in time, he has protected you. And God, I may not have everything I wanted, but every time I've reached down in faith, you have provided for me. Every time I found myself in a conundrum of life and I did not have the answers of life, you have helped me to navigate these unsure roads. Every time when I didn't know how to get there, you have placed people in my life that will give me a light and lead me the way. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You are my guiding light. So we see the Bible says consistently, every time we look in Joseph's story, it said the hand of God was what? With Joseph. I love 401ks and IRAs and investments, but the only thing I covet is the hand of God on my life. Because God can give me stuff that money cannot buy. Money can buy you a house, but it can't make you a home. Money can buy you Egyptian tweed uh, sheets, and they sleep very good. 500-count fabric, and you can sleep on silky sheets. But if you don't have peace, you can't sleep at night. There are many things that the world can provide, but there are only things that, at the end of the day, the only things that matter are the things that God can really answer. The things that money can't buy. Peace of mind. Being able to connect the dots. And every one of us, whether we're old or young, we're going through life trying to connect the dots. Trying to make sense of life. And now we see this young man who is 28 years old trying to make sense of life. How did I go from being provided into a pit and into a palace and now I'm in a prison? Everybody say, how did I get here? Can we be honest and say each one of us have asked God that question? We may still be asking God that question now. How did I get here? I deal in retirement. There are many people that are, that are sit up and they realize that all my friends are leaving at 55 or 60 or 60 or 65 to retire. I don't have a penny saved to my name. I lived how I wanted to live and now I can't retire. How did I get here? Those questions don't stop because you get old. We all have questions that we ask God. 
And so we see God's hand is on Joseph. And now we see uh, in the psyche of Joseph that he's in the pit. He, now he's in the prison. Let's go to Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. Let's read down for a while to read this story, and then we'll make it make sense. Uh, Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. What does it say? Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the, of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. That's a bad thing in case you didn't know. Let's go to verse 2. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night, the, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, each his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in the custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one that can interpret him. Opportunity. Do we know anybody who can interpret dreams? <laughs> and Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Now, there's a couple of questions here we need to stop at. And it said, Joseph serves Potiphar for about, for about 11 years. He's thrown into prison. That's the first question. At about 27, 28 years old. But he says that the Lord was with him. And then... We need to learn this in the church because in the church, a lot of times we have prophets and master prophets, everybody popping up that they got a gift and you need them to help you. But where does Joseph say his interpretation came from? God. That the gift he had wasn't to make him great, but the gift that he was able to get, he was only able to have it because of who? God. He notices that it's only God that gives interpretation. So we see here at the age of 28, we see a maturation process, don't we? That Jacob still, although he's in the prison, life is unfair, he's still devoted to who? God. He says, God, interpretations belong to who? God. So then he says, please tell them to who? Me. Interpretations belong to God. So if you tell me what you're going through, I'm going to trust God to help me intercede in your life. Why do we need other people? Because there are words, the Bible talks about words of wisdom and words of knowledge and words of prophecy. That sometimes God will use other people to speak into your life. Not to, for their gratification, but that you can hide, find life and, and that you can find direction. The Bible says, seek of all the gifts prophecy. What is prophecy in New Testament? times. It's preaching. That's why we need preaching. That's why we need church because everybody that comes into this church on Sunday morning comes with different issues, comes with different things and the power of the Holy Spirit has the ability to take one text and speak to hundreds of people at the same time the, regarding what's going on in their life. That's why we need each other. It's not Life is not being meant to live, be lived on an island, but we're, being, we're able to live among the fellowship of the saints, hoping that God can use somebody to bless us and use us to bless somebody what else. So they tell him his dreams. Let's go to verse 9. Uh, let's read that. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, you can, you can read when you catch up. In my dream, there was a vine before me, and the vine, there were three branches, and as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. He's the wine bearer. That makes sense. And it took grapes and pressed them and into the Pharaoh's cup and placed them in the Pharaoh's hand. And then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. That is a term of endearment. It is an idiom in the Hebrew culture, which means that things are about to start looking up for you. That's what that means. And restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh so to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. But he's in prison. But he mentions the pit. What does that mean? He hasn't quite got over his first trauma. He's been from the pit to the palace 
Now he's in the prison, but psychologically, he's still in the pit. How many people are 50 and 60 years old acting like children because they still stuck at the trauma of father wounds or all sorts of things? You couldn't get past the trauma. He's got, isn't that amazing that people look for perfect people in the church, but God is using Joseph and he's still broken. It amazes me how we get in the church and we think that because God gives somebody a gift, I have the gift to speak or to preach that I'm a perfect person. Don't you look at me as a perfect person. You're going to be highly disappointed. I'm just an empty vessel that's willing and God is using. But guess what? I have issues just like you do. That's why Paul doesn't say, follow me because I'm perfect. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, I'm following too. That's encouragement. Why? Because if you're broken, that means God can still use you. If you got some mistakes in your life and you still haven't got it all quite together, get some healing, get some prayer, get some devotion, and need be get some counseling. But don't stop letting God use you because you've been through trauma. But you don't know what I've been through in my life. It doesn't matter. Nothing has overcome you such as coming to man. Somebody has been through it, but God wants to use you. He would use perfect people, but there are none. There's not one righteous. No, not one. He's in the pit while he's sitting in the prison. He says, help me get out of here. He's still stuck in his past pain. How many of us can be honest that some things some people have said to us or spouses or, or people in our life? How many of you have been told that you wouldn't be nothing? That you would never amount to anything? And sometimes you live life based off of what they spoke into your life. You're 40 years old and you're still living back when you were 17 when somebody told you you would never be anything or never amount to anything. But here's the key, that the Lord was with him. Everybody say, God is with me. I was speaking and ministering to a friend today. And as I was speaking, God told me to tell him this. God has always provided for me, and he always will. Everybody say that with me. God has always provided for me. And he always will. I need money. God has always provided for me. And he always will. I need some psychological healing. God has always provided for me. And he always will. I need some emotional healing. God has always provided for me. And he always will. Well, that's nice and that's a pithy quote, Pastor. I like your catchphrase, but prove it to me in the Bible. I think I will. Thank you, David. I was young and now I'm old. And never have I seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. What is David saying? God has always provided for me. And he always will. You may feel like you're in a fearful place. Joseph is saying, I'm working into the Lord. God's blessing my life, but I still can't get over my past pain. You know, there are some people that have an IQ to get a job, but they don't have an EI to keep the job. What does that mean? That they are smart enough to get the job, but emotionally unstable and they can't keep it. They have high intelligence quotient and low emotional intelligence. They're stuck in their past pain. And what we have to get out of in the church, God wants to minister to the needs of the whole man. He doesn't just want to heal your soul or your spirit. He wants to heal your mind, body, and your soul. And what's going on with you psychologically, you might not have talked to a counselor, and it's good if you can seek counseling and get it, but if you can't afford a counselor, I, I hear somebody saying, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting God. You may not have a PPO or HMO where you can go write it off and just go to the doctor. But if you can't and you can't find a good counselor right now, God is a counselor. The Holy Spirit can counsel you. 
He can put people in your life to connect the dots. And Joseph is trying to make sense of life because every time he tried to do something good, and here it is, my gift is working for this man. All of a sudden, I'm in prison. My gift shows him that he's going to get out, but it doesn't show me. What do you do when your gift is working for everybody else, but it's not working for you? What do you do, preachers, Pastor Ernie, when you can preach everybody else happy, but you're still depressed? What do you do when you can help everybody else connect the dots, but you go home crying because you feel lost? That's what Joseph is saying. My gift is working for you, but it's not working for me. So could you put a word in for me when you get out? Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Y'all ready to ride? We're going to let's ride. Verse 16. What does he say? The chief baker wants to know because there's two people there. It's not the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. That's the nursery rhyme. It's just the cupbearer and the baker here. Verse 16. What does it say? (laughs) When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. He was waiting. He didn't want to get bad news. So he said, I'll wait. There were three cakes, baskets on my head and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of my head, on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is an interpretation. The three baskets are also three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Now this is horrifying to an Egyptian because Egyptians believe in the afterlife. They believe in the process of multiplication. They leave all sorts of stuff in their tombs to take with them in the afterlife because they worship different gods, Ra, Amun, Ra, Horus, Isis, all these people. So to hear that your body is going to be mutilated and you can't go into the afterlife whole, this is absolutely destroying for him. And he says on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants. Verse 20 and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's head but he hanged the chief baker and Joseph had as Joseph had interpreted. Now I want you to know something. Hanging is not just hanging. They may have hung him or they may have impaled him on a stake because when they say they hung him, that means that either they hung him by the neck or they made a stake like a pencil and they took him and shish him from the top to the bottom. That's what happened to Haman when Haman was hung on the gallows. It was a very brutal way of hanging. This is not the best place and position to be in. This is what happens to the dude, but Joseph is looking for the guy to do him a solid. I gave you good information. My gift helped you in return help me but what does verse 23 read let's read it together let's see what kind of luck he's having but no such thing as luck but let's see anyway verse 23 says what yet the chief cupbearer did not remember joseph but forgot him wow up down up down halfway out of the prison right back in there are millions of people right now life lost in life And life really hurts for them. They can't, they left truth. And they tried to do it their way and their life is coming crashing down around them. And they're lost and they're looking for the truth. And they're finding it in all sorts of places where the truth really doesn't exist. And they're doing this yo-yo in life. Up, down, up, down. And many of them are thinking about giving up. The cupbearers, uh, 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 forgetting uh, the fourth question says it shows us that delay is not denial. We know Joseph because we know the end of the, st- uh, the story. He's not getting out. But here's the thing. If God wanted him out, he would what? God didn't want him out because it wasn't the right time. Could it be that some of the things that you're going through in life, that God is working on some things in your life and he's lining up some things. And if he gave it to you now, I can't give you the palace right now, Joseph. You know why? Because your words a couple of days ago showed me that you're still in the pit. You might be physically ready for the be second in command, but you're not mentally ready. And if I give it to you now, you are vengeful. You're still not over what your brothers have done to you. And you're going to take that power. And instead of using it, you're going to destroy 
destroy somebody else. In the Marvel comics, they say with great power comes great responsibility. We, we got to realize that sometimes God is not giving us stuff, not because he's mad at us, but because he loves us, because we're not ready to handle it, and he doesn't want us to destroy ourselves. Why am I broke? Because you can't handle $2. How would you handle $2 million? You just put dig a hole that you couldn't get out of it. God's going to let you stay with $2 until you learn to be faithful over those two. And when you're faithful over a few things, then I'll make you ruler over many. Too many times we have a microwave society that we feel like life works like a sitcom. 30 minutes, I'm uh, look, I'm at the end of this 30-minute sitcom. I'm going to have to snap my fingers and life's going to get back all of a good. That's not how life really works. Sometimes you got to stay through the process. It's not always the destination, but who you become in the journey that's preparing you for where you're headed. That's why David said, it was good that I be afflicted. Because had I not been afflicted, I would have never learned your what? Law. It's good that I was looking over a roof I had no business. It wasn't good that I did it. But it was good that I lost my baby, not because I lost it. It was good because my mischievousness kept letting me bump my head until I had no place else to go but you. Because you're the only way. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Could it be sometimes the reason people are frustrated and busting their head, especially those who have known Christ at one point of their life or another, is because God allows you to bust your head because at some point in time, you're going to get so low that there's nowhere geographically or spiritually that you can look but up. When you're on the ground, there's only one place you can look. Guess what it is? I tried my wit. I tried my intuition. I tried my thoughts. I tried intellectualism. I tried secular humanism and relativism and transcendentalism. I tried new age and I, I tried the law of attraction. I tried all these other things. That I tried crystals. I tried all these other things to make me find spirituality and God and God said, keep on trying. I, I tried this stuff, but I, see, I still came to see, seem to keep losing. Why? Because he's waiting for you to get on your back. Because when you finally get on your back and you realize none of that stuff would do you any good then you will give the prayer like they used to do when they were going up to the hill of the temple they said I will lift mine eyes into the hills I realize now where my help comes from all my help comes from the Lord he is the maker of heaven and earth he's in a low place his gift is helping other people but it won't help him Let's go on, because I want to get deep into chapter 41. He's in a low place. Anybody ever been in a place like Joseph? Many of us are in a place like Joseph right now. The Bible is awesome, guys. Let's read chapter 41, starting at verse 1. We're doing two chapters tonight. <clears throat> Ready? Let's read. We're going to ride. Verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Wait a minute. Not only did the cupbearer leave him in prison, but he left him there for two years. He's in his 30s now. His situation didn't get better overnight. So if he's not in the palace, he's still in prison. <clears throat> what do you do when you thought your situation was going to get better and it gets worse? And you still are in prison. I hear Paul saying, and after you have done everything that you can to stand, stand there for. Everybody says, stand there for. <laughs> you might be at a point where you're at your wit's end and you're honestly saying, God, I'm ready to give up. I can't make sense of life. These things are not working. Things are happening to me. I can't really explain them. All you need to do is stand because if you stand, God's going to stand with you. If you know him. So Pharaoh dreamed a dream while he was standing by the Nile. Let's see what verse 2 says. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed uh, in the reed, green, uh, reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank. 
of the Nile. And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Now, when you dream a second time, many people believe that this is divine, that, that God is bringing something to you for a divine purpose. And let's keep going. And behold, seven years of grain, plump and good, were growing on a stalk. And after them sprouted seven years thin and blighted by the east wind. And thin ears swallowed them up, plump, full of ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. He, was, he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all his wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret it by Pharaoh. Now, I'm going to give you a quick background because I, I don't want to get into Egyptian mythology, but what you have to know is that they believe that Pharaoh is a deity, that he is a son of Ra. He is the sun and the moon. Pharaoh is the sun and moon, and he's the grandson of Horus and all these other things that are coming and, and uh, Isis is Horus's mother he's the son of Horus Isis is his mother and that she's depicted by cattle so this has a religious significance to Pharaoh that's why he's paying such an attention to it it's a horrifying dream to him so if you want to get into that this is Bible study you can go look up Egyptian mythology and all that stuff but right now we're going to do Bible I just want to tell you how this is why is this so impactful to him. this dream is what I'm trying to say will make him pay attention so, verse 9, then the chief cupbearer of Pharaoh said, I remember my offenses today. In other words, you know what? I was supposed to do something and I forgot. He's just like your cousin that owes you money. He remembers a few years later. <laughs> yeah. Can you give a guess of who brought this to his remembrance? Probably the same person that gave Pharaoh the dream. Why did he choose to give Pharaoh a dream? Because he had somebody he knew could interpret. Everybody say, delay is not denial. Just because it's you can't see it working out doesn't mean that God isn't working it out. From the time that the seed meets the egg and it has a zygote and it turns into a fetus and, the, and life is building, you can't really see. Now through technology, we can see a shadow through sonar and all sorts of things like that and sonograms. But you really, to the naked eye, can't see what's happening. But something is being built on the inside and such is life that sometimes God is moving all the points of your life to put together a place where you're going to be. But you can't see it because it's veiled from you. The Bible in Hebrew says, and the things in the seen are a representative of things that are what? In the unseen. That what's happening on the outside that you can see is a product of what God is working in the spirit and the unseen. Thank God that he's working for me in unseen realms. Thank, you, thank God that he's moving in the spirit in ways that I cannot comprehend and my intellect can't happen. Thank God that when my mind can't create opportunity, God's been working on opportunities. Guess what? I was born March 9th, 1981. This pulpit, this church has been here since 1965. Do you not know that this pulpit's been waiting on me for 38 years till I got here. I wasn't ready for it, but God was working it out behind the scenes. How do you know? Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you and I appointed you to be a prophet to the nation. I went through 38, 39 years of not knowing that I would be here. And all of a sudden, one day God moves and makes some things switch. And other people might say, this is hurtful. This is painful. I wish we could get a pastor that can say, but God is saying, I just got a placeholder here for right now. This is what I have for now. And now that the time is ready and he's ready for it and it's ready for him. Now I'm going to work some things out. Why are you telling me that? Because where you are is not where you'll stay. Just be patient and know that God is working some things out behind the scenes. That's where faith comes from. The old saints used to say, you got to trust God when you can't trace him. You might not be able to see him working, but he is working. And one day I can't live forever. 
This pulpit isn't just for me. It's for somebody else who might come after me, some little child that I may preach to or pastor to. My season is but a short. The Bible says that the days of a man are few and full of trouble. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. I'm living in the relevance in the life that he's given me to live, and you are. But remember that God is not just using other people's lives to bless yours, but he's using your life to bless others and make the way for other people. I am standing on the shoulders of people who put these bricks together, who put that parsonage over there together, who paved the parking lot. And one day somebody else will be going into the digital world from all the cameras that we put in and all the other things. Each one of us lives where God has placed us because we are not living for ourselves. We are living to be in the purpose and the plan of God for those who will come behind us. We're just living trying to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through us. We won't get so haughty and proud of ourselves then when we can sing that old song, I'm a pilgrim and a stranger traveling through this borrowed land. This is not the place that we stay. But if we learn to seek God, God will make relevance out of our lives. That's the problem. We have a generation of people trying to seek relevance out of their life. You know what? Without Tim Cook, this has no relevance. One day, a man had an imagination to say, I want a phone that everybody can touch just like Star Trek and talk. And out of the iPhone came the iPad. This came from somebody's dream and somebody's relevance. But if you want to know the, the purpose of a thing, go back to the person that made it. We have a generation of my generation of millennials and Gen Zers coming behind us that have left the church and left God and they've left the manufacturer and they're trying to figure out how to use their life. And they can't even contact the person to get the real instructions. Where are the instructions? That word is a lamp into my feet. Thy word is a light into my path. If you want to know what truth is, Jesus said, lead them in the truth. Your word is truth. If you want to know truth, look no further than the 66 books that are placed into the Bible. He's revealed his word and his truth through them. And I don't care how far you go in life, how enlightened you can be, how much you seek nirvana, or whatever you seek, all roads to truth will lead to Jesus. Not all roads lead to God. They don't. It's nice to say that, and it's good to be colloquial and community-wise to make people feel good and buzz, but not all roads lead to God. Jesus made a clear, distinct road. He says, narrow is the road that leads to God, to heaven, and few there be that find it. Broad is the road that leads the other way, and many there be that find it. If you look around and you've got a bunch of people around you, chances are you headed on the wrong road. Following the crowd is not always the best to be. Let's keep going. I'm out of time. Y'all tired of me? Let, let's go ahead and finish up so we can get out. I want to be respectful. Miss Pat been out her. She said, I want to make up for six weeks. I'm sorry. I'm not going to preach for six weeks or teach for six weeks tonight. But I'll give you what we can. <laughs> I'll give you what we can. Let's keep going. Uh, he's, he's given these interpretations. Let's see what happens because we want to get through this. Um, verse 9, the chief cupbearer telling him about this. He says, Verse 10 says what? You can read it with me. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having the dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, his interp he interpreted our dreams to us, giving uh, an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit, out of that prison. Hallelujah. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Mm. Sometimes when God's getting ready to do something new for you, you can't go before him looking the same old way. You can't look on this level like you did on that level. 
Because people, everybody looks like you at this level, but for where God may be trying to take you, you got to have a distinct look about yourself. This is how I like to look. I probably wouldn't go before the president like this. I might. But people tend to put on suits. Sometimes. We put too much stock in what we wear. But what I'm trying to tell you is as God gets ready to elevate you, there's going to be a change in you. Not just your physical appearance, but your emotional appearance. You got to start dressing yourself up. Go get some counseling. Go get some prayer. Go get some discipleship partners to speak into your life. Because you can't go into the, the dysfunctions that you were dealing with, you can't take with you to the next level. And you're going to keep repeating this level until you deal with those things. So let's keep going. Let's keep going. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him and put clothes on him. Verse 15, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, this is a dangerous answer to give to Pharaoh. You know why? Because in Pharaoh's mind, he's God. They have to declare that Pharaoh is the sun and the moon. So what he's literally saying is, you finite. Yeah, you had the power to kill me, but I know somebody more powerful than you. And that statement, that's a bold statement he's making. Oh, I'm looking for a bold Christian that will stand up and make bold statements in this day when Christianity is not popular anymore. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And he says, it's not mine. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. And he gives them the dream. So I'm going to go down for sake of time because we just read what the dream was. Let's go to the bottom of verse 21 and start at 22. Then I awoke. I saw in my dream seven ears growing, one stalk full and good, seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, spouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and it, I told it to the magicians. But there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 26, read it with me. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven cow good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after the seven years and the seven empty blighted uh, by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Mm. God is speaking to the unbeliever. What do we do with that theologically? Let's keep going. That's the subject for another day. <laughs> Verse 29. Interesting question, isn't it, though? You see that? Verse 29, there will come seven years of great plenty throughout all of the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by the reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh dreams means that the thing is fixed by God. Remember, I told you that if he gives you a dream twice, that it's fixed by God. It's going to happen. And God God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, Pharaoh, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the produce of the land and of Egypt during its seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming up and store the grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. Let's get to, to these last ones. So we're going to see what happens to Joseph. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, wait a minute. I thought he was God. I thought he was polytheistic. But all of a sudden, God working in Joseph, ooh, makes him acknowledge what? For let your light so shine that men may see your what? Good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. Look at the language. So verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning as wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all the people shall order themselves to you as a command. Only as it regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Wow. So basically he's the president 
Pharaoh says, I'm emeritus. I'm all powerful, but right now you, you, you running everything. Wow. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then the Pharaoh took his signet ring, his symbol of authority. This is the ring that says, I am the man. You see that ring is stamped in the wax. Everything authority comes with the ring. He took this ring and put it from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He, it's a transference of what? Authority and power. And clothes him in garments of fine linen. Oh, wow. He lost the coat of many colors, but he got the most expensive coat that could ever be made because Pharaoh was the richest man in the world. He took his own coat and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Wow. That's better than a coat of many colors. And he made him ride in his second chariot. He gave him a beamer. He's riding in the BMW. You were walking. Now I'm putting you in a BMW. Oh, Wow. And for those people that hate prosperity gospel, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. I'm making it real and relevant. But he's, God doesn't mind you having a BMW. Stop being bitter. If you want one, you can have one, but it's not for everybody. No, God doesn't mean for everybody to be rich, but he doesn't mind people being rich. So I, I think I need to stop and put that disclaimer uh, for, for somebody who may be looking. So, uh, so he says, you should be over my house. He's not on foot anymore. He's in the second chariot. Wow. And they called out before him, bowed the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Wow. That's a lot of power for a kid from the pit, isn't it? <laughs> and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Paneah, and he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of Onan. He didn't have any Christian women that he's in a pagan land. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old, was 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh, the king of house. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During seven plentiful years, he produces abundantly. He gathers up all the food over the seven years. I'm, 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 I'm summarizing. And, and all the famine happens, verse 49 says, And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Verse 50 but before the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Now I want to get to something first that we forgot. Joseph was in prison because a woman wanted to pursue him. He wouldn't take her, so she lied on him. Potiphar was the captain of the guard. He was serving this woman, and now she sexually harassed him. But if he's over everybody over Egypt, guess who else he's over? Can you imagine what it's like in the walls of Potiphar's house? When this person you lied on and said tried to rape you and you were really trying to rape him, now he's back and he's in a position of power. Can you imagine the fear that's in his mind? I wonder what he's about to do to me. I wonder is he going to settle the score. Wow. Part of saying I put him in prison. Uh-oh. <laughs> You know, Joseph, I always liked you, boy. I knew it was something that was good about you. Please don't kill me. <laughs> That's what they're thinking. And so I want you to stop here. And we're, this is where we're going to stop is where he named his sons. Verse 50. Let's read this because it's powerful. And we're going to read this last one and go home. Verse 50 says what? Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of Om, before them to him. Joseph called the name of the first one Manasseh, which so he said, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house, which means Manasseh means causing to forget. He has caused me to forget the name of the second one. He called Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Christianity is not escapism. Let's stop looking for ways to escape trial as we go into a postmodern society where the world is not really in favor of Christians. Let's stop seeking for the sweet by and by and learn to watch God bless us in the nasty now and now. We see from where his sons are named what his, his mentality is now. He names them and says, God has caused me to forget. He's given me something. Well, he's, is he saying that affliction, he remembers that his affliction is there. What is he saying? God has caused me to get over my pain and my trauma. I still remember what happened. But God has made it all right. Why? 
because he's made me fruitful even in the land of my affliction. You might be in a low place right now, but don't fall. Be fruitful. You might not be at the place in life where you thought you would be, but don't use that as an excuse to soak and sour and be bitter about life. Let God make you fruitful. Bloom where you are planted. When he talks in Jeremiah, he tells them that you're not going to get out of you're not going to get out of uh, out of captivity. Seven years you're going to be here, but live and have kids, marry and have a good time. I know the plans I have for you. Learn to bloom where you planted. You're going to die here in captivity. But make the most of it. You may be near retirement. You may not. You, if you knew what you knew now, you'd probably be a millionaire. But you might not be a millionaire before you die. But that don't mean you can't enjoy life. He's given us all things to richly enjoy. John 10 and 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that you what? Have life and have it to the fullest. Not just in these four walls, but outside of the four walls. As we get ready to leave, the seven years of plenty occurred in the land of Egypt, came to an end, and the seven years of famine became to come. And Joseph had said there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. Oh, why? God used him to bless it. He didn't stop the famine, but he put bread for the provision in the famine. He may not stop all the storms of your life, but he'll give you provision to make it. Through those things. He'll give you peace of mind. Your, your marriage might be gone or the relationship to your friend might be gone and broken. Those things may never come back, but he can still give you peace in the midst of those things. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says you do. So when the famine had spread all over the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for, for a severe famine within the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy the grain. That, that's foreshadowing. Because the famine was severe over all the earth. So if famine is severe over all the earth, that means his father and his brothers are starving too. You mean all this pain I've gone through in my life was just so God could position me to bless somebody else? You mean all the hell that I've been through in my life could be just that when God elevates me to ministry, I could reach people who've been through what I've been through because I can speak to them on a level that other people can't speak to. Victor, you've done some things I haven't done. Not many, but some. There are some people you can speak to that I can't. Don't waste that pain. You've been through some things that I haven't been through. God's ready to develop you and speak to people who look, think, and act just like you. Don't cut your hair, keep it. Don't remove your tax keeper because he'll send you out to people who look just like you. The mistakes you made. Now, I just made a religious person mad. I don't care. That's your personal preference. I like his hair. <laughs> we got to stop doing it in church. We started to stop putting our cultural preferences on people. Not your business how somebody else wear their hair. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot of times why people leave church because they walk into people trying to make people look like them. God's trying to make people look like him. He didn't make man in your image. He made him in his. May we have a church always that we seek not to make people look the part, but we seek to help people be the part. That's what I like about this church. We got different nationalities represented here. Macedonia, Iraq, Puerto Rico, different places, black, white, uh, city, hillbilly, uh, all, all, everything is in this room. All of us are in this room together. Country, that's me. And guess what? God works in Refined. Some of us know proper etymology and we can use all sorts of fancy words to impress people. And some of us couldn't string a subject and a verb to conjugate to save our life. And God loves us all just the same. And he can use all of you and bless you 
He's uniquely designed you and strategically placed you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm done. He strategically placed you where he's placed you because he's got somebody that he needs you uniquely to reach. All this he done to Joseph and allowed Joseph to have because he wanted Joseph in a place to reach somebody that somebody else couldn't reach. Everything you've been through in your life is not, not because of the mistakes you made. You know why it is? Because there's some people that you need to reach that nobody else can. And he strategically placed you in those places. The mistakes you made, he knew you would make them. Why didn't he stop me from making them? Because you can use those mistakes to bless somebody else when he gets you where you need to be. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be the next day. You might have to spend two years studying and discipling and learning the truth of the word of God. But if you allow God to really grab hold of you and to heal you and heal you just like he healed Joseph and cause you to forget your past traumas. I'm speaking to somebody online, too. I feel it right now. He's causing you to forget your past traumas and your past pain. And he's helping you to process through the ups and downs of life. He's preparing you to be a blessing to somebody I'd be a liar if I didn't say I wish I had some mulligans and do-overs in life. But since I can't have them, I'll take every mistake I made and use it to bless somebody else. I'll take every hardship I have and help somebody else. There's an old song that says, if I could help somebody, as I travel along, if I can encourage somebody with a word or a song, if I can show somebody and keep them from living wrong, then my living would not have been in vain. God, thank you. Thank you that you can take what you've allowed to be written in these pages for, for millennia. Help us to extrapolate these principles and then make them relevant to our everyday lives of how we live. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are so good that you can speak to all different people from all different ages and backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities and races. God, uh, at the same time, and speak different things to our heart. God, I thank you for that. Only you can do that. Thank you for those who are watching online that are being blessed by, by, by this God. Because I'm being blessed by it. I pray that you help somebody who's on the edge and are ready to give up God. To give them encouragement through this message. To let them know that God is still with you. And Father, you've always provided for us. And you always will. You've always cared for us. And you always will. You've always provided salvation for us. And you always will. You've always provided healing for us. And even in Revelations, there's a tree for the healing of the nations. You always will. Now, God, I ask that you speak to the hearts of everybody who's under the sound of my voice, whether they're listening now or listening on the podcast or listening on the websites or wherever they're listening or in this room. Lord, speak to their hearts and let them know this is more than just a Bible study, that this is the Holy Spirit living and active in our hearts and our minds. Help us to take this and apply it and make it applicable to our lives and become stronger through your word. Lead us in the truth. Your word is truth. Give somebody a light today. Draw them, Holy Spirit, to you through this word. And we'll give you all the praise and the thanks. In the mighty, in the master's name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise.